Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. My name's Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy Mashed Potatoes and Gravy LaValle. Oh, LaValle, it is Thanksgiving week. Good, buddy. <laughs> it's Happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dude. GCP <laughs> it's actually Thanksgiving, uh, if you're listening to this on the day of the release. <laughs> Did you know they're going to have a Della balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving par- Day Parade this year? <laughs> <laughs> With a caved-in chest? <laughs> All oh. the kids are like ah, ah, screaming in run! fear. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it is uh it, it's a happy Thanksgiving for some of us, not so much for Matthew, but uh but for some of us we have gotten through the battle with Orothash alive. We have uh, we are coming off of a fantastic weekend at Pax Unplugged. We have a horrifying horrifying Freshly made up by Troy Boss to face next week. There's just, there's a lot going on in GCP Nation, and we're going to get into a lot of it today. Starting with Pax Unplugged, Troy. Let me just go in general. This is the first ever Pax Unplugged. What yeah. were your thoughts on it uh, in general? Do you think it was a successful con? I thought it was a very successful con, and what's nice is this is the uh, calm before the storm before Pax Unplugged becomes so big you won't want to be there. <laughs> That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah, it was generally very – I mean, it was super crowded, obviously. It was sold sure. out on Saturday, but the, the Philadelphia Convention Center itself, it didn't. It only took up one floor of the convention center. It, it was reminiscent of old PAX East back in 2010 when they had the Heinz Convention Center in Boston. It was much more manageable size. It felt much more intimate, you know, and uh, and I loved it. I just – I loved that it had that smaller con environment. I think it's important to have that sort of environment to get people to feel comfortable in, in meeting new people and playing new games. And meet new people they did. I mean, we had a huge contingent of GCP Nation out there, and they were playing games all weekend long. And we would just walk by their tables, and they'd be all together kind of clustered, running through Pathfinder Society scenarios, running through homebrews, uh, playing board games. It was great to just kind of have our own little cordoned-off section that hopefully each year will just grow and grow and grow until they give us our own section on the exhibition floor. Our own con. <laughs> right. It was – It was, uh, and we offer a huge thank you for that to Chris Rutledge, Rob Gamash, and Andrew Moores are GCP Nation reps who put that all together. Uh, they, the guys did a fantastic job. The tables looked great. Everybody looked like they were having a terrific time. Oh, and, and I also have to thank the GMs that stepped up and offered their services yes. to run people through, whether it be homebrews or PFS scenarios. So big shout-outs to uh, Vicky Moore. Uh, Rob Gamash also ran games, Sean Doherty, Patrick Miller, Rob Williams, and DJ Kelly. Thanks to you guys for running games all weekend long. You and I sat down right next to them and just uh, busted out Legends of the Five Rings, and people just felt free to stop by and say hi the whole weekend. It was a fantastic way to meet people and, and interact. I mean, we met some great people while we were just sitting there. 
Yeah, I mean, it was nice. They would just kind of come over and introduce themselves and then watch us uh, stumble through Legend of the Five Rings. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was our first chance to get to play that. What were your What were your thoughts on that one? Oh, it's fantastic. I've played it since we left the con uh, with my little brother and actually got through a whole game of it, and now I fully understand the brilliance of this game. Uh, and sadly, I'll never play it again because now you live in New Jersey. We also played a new game called Flat... Not a new game, a new game to us called Flashpoint, a co-op. Uh, firefighting game which has been around for a while I'd heard of it before uh, but we rented it out of the games library and gave it a shot and what were your thoughts on it it was great. I kept uh, saying to people, it's like pandemic, except the story is that your firefighter is trying to save people from a burning building before it collapses. Uh, and we were just playing the basic version, played through about two times, and both times, everyone died when the building capsized. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is it is unforgiving, as uh, as rabid wildfires uh, tend to be. It was, <laughs> it was really fun, though. I, I enjoyed it. I definitely... I know Matthew said he wants to get it, so maybe... Maybe my wife and I and Matthew's wife will play it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I look forward to playing it again. Other than that, we didn't really have a lot of time to sit and, and play games. Otherwise, we had to just kind of uh, you know do GCP business. So what was, the, what was your thoughts on the show floor? Did you get to demo any new games or meet any game designers? I didn't, and that's a bummer because that's usually one of my favorite parts when we go to PAX East is just sitting down and demoing games. Um, but to just there was just no time, especially where we had to record an episode Saturday morning, the night, the morning after our live show and GCP hangout. I mean, that cut into our time significantly. Um, but, you know, overall, I thought it was a super successful con. When I got there for Friday, I was a little like, that's usually the day that I'm really overwhelmed, as I've said in the past. But now this is like my third con this year, and I was very chill. But I was actually concerned for the con because it seemed super quiet. The exhibition hall is about one-fifth the size of the PAX East exhibition. And obviously, because there's no video games, there's not that extra, like, crazy $10,000 display flair. So I was like, ooh. And it was really, really, really dead in there. And I was like, oh, I wonder if this is going to be a flop. But then Saturday, we couldn't get a table a table to save our life in tabletop free play um but yeah i mean uh, overall I, I i i always have that same regret i wish i could have played more games but i think as you said to me on day two he's like dude this is our life now at cons we're not going to get to play games like we used to <laughs> yeah we have the we have the pleasure and honor of getting things like the show we did on friday night and to uh to get to sit down interact uh, uh, and and play in front of the listeners live with with somebody like Eric Mona and then go out to the bar afterwards. And Eric joined us at the bar afterwards, which was awesome. Stopped by a little later on. But there even was was a, a great example of GCP Nation out in force once again, just taking over the entire room of a bar and then spilling out into the, the regular patrons and just <laughs> generally taking over the place. That's how we like to do it. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I saw Eric come in and then I was leaving. I was like, oh, shit, Eric, I didn't even get a chance to talk to you because he was just chatting with GCP Nation the entire time. Yep, yep, the entire time. Uh, so, yeah, uh, overall, a, a terrific experience for me. I thought it was great being back in Philly. I'm glad they're doing a con like this in Philly. I think that there is a lot of, I think there's a lot of people there that love gaming and want to get involved. And uh, it was awesome that, that Penny Arcade noticed that and uh, scratched that itch uh, for, the, for the city there. So, uh, good job to Penny Arcade. Thank you guys. And we look forward to the next one. So, let's, let's move on to the episode here, man. We open up with a dramatic scene. 
of course we have to. We have to. It's uh, it's Della's last words. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've talked on Cannon Fodder before about character death in an unexpected moment. Uh, Cannon Fodder 42 comes to mind. That one we were more talking about, like, uh, the question was about if it was in a lame moment. And obviously this is not a lame moment. This was the boss fight of book three. But it was fast. You know, one round before, no one would have predicted that Della would be dead one round later. Yeah. So uh, it really took us by surprise. But you did have a week to think about reactions. So I, I just have a couple questions. First, sure. why why bring Del, uh, Brander into Della's final moments? Um, well, where you guys were in the middle of a battle, there is no chance there really for uh, one of you to go over and ca- capture those last words. Like, sure, I could have waited till the end of the battle and then had you guys run over and have her like say something to you guys just as she faded out. I, I could have made that work. But I also had the plan for uh, Brander to strike the hammer on the forge, and so I knew there wasn't going to be time for that. Plus, I think the main thing um, for both Matthew and Del that was was important to them uh, or, or really sad that it didn't get to happen was that Della never got the chance to confront Brander. So I had a choice there how I wanted to give her her swan song because other people wouldn't give that character that swan song. They'd be like, well, right. that character's dead. Roll up a new one next week. Um, I just thought, here's an opportunity where Brander can speak to people uh, in their mind, have her, have her, have her chance to uh, say something to him. When did that decision occur to you to, to have Brander come in? Was it just the day before, or had you thought about it for, for most right of the week? Right when we stopped taping 129, I had oh, decided okay. Immediately. Right there on the spot how that was what I was going to do. And then I, w- I had a week to kind of formulate what Brander, what I thought he would want to say and how he would react to whatever she said. And did you talk to Matthew about it before the session? Did you guys like kind of yeah, jaw actually, about as he what? was? I don't know if you remember at the end of last session, I pulled Matthew out into the hall. And, and I, right yes. there, I said yes. to him, like, as you guys were packing up, I was like, just be thinking of something that Della might want to say to Brander if given the opportunity. Okay, cool. Yeah, I thought you were pulling him aside to say, I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> Please don't leave the show. <laughs> Please. I know you've lost two characters, and no one else has really lost any besides Skid. Um, but... Don't leave the show because it's a real pain in the ass trying to find someone else. <laughs> so if we were to look at this more as a, a regular game and not the, the GCP game, if uh-huh. you weren't recording this or it wasn't a performance, would you have talked to Matthew before the session if you were just running a, a regular unrecorded game or would you just have taken him by surprise with that? No, no, I I would have definitely talk to him. I do that all the time in Jade Region. I love, even if we're not recording the game, to still have that same uh, showmanship um, to keep everybody excited. So I absolutely would have uh, spoken to him, regardless of the fact that we were taping. So when we were setting this session up in this Airbnb in Philly, you know, just kind of pieced together a random uh, setup for in a new place with no table and these just odd chairs, and you were sitting in the kitchen, it was just a, a strange, a strange setup that ended up working out. It was actually quite comfortable once we got settled. But during that setup, we were talking strategy. We were talking pretty in-depth strategy, too, in terms of where we were on the board and what our next moves had to be to try to survive. How did you, as a GM, uh, feel about us having 30 to 45 minutes there of time just strategizing on the coming session? Were we were we right in talking about it, do you think? Or should we play... Should we have played our characters a little bit more in, in the mindset of keeping up the chaos of battle? No, I mean... I. 
I, I, I was fine with it. It also gave me an extra 30 to 45 minutes to prep and write the session. <laughs> like do last minute <laughs> cramming. True. I think we went to bed at 2.33 ish that night. I mean, I know I did. And I got up at 7.30 and just grabbed my laptop and started writing ideas, just brainstorming thoughts for what could happen, both with the conversation with uh, Brander, uh, the end of the episode reveal and whatnot. I just wanted to get that all on paper. So giving you guys time to strategize and you weren't like, let's go, Troy. Uh, I was just like, yeah, yeah, keep talking. Right. Type, 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 type. Look at uh, Earth Ash stats. Look at his spells a little bit more yeah so i am fine with it but also from a uh gm perspective i think that's totally fine we're talking life or death here you know it, it, to have those conversations outside of session is is totally fine or in session in a in a non-recorded one i think that's good but when you're in the actual battle you can't really drag things down to be like all right everybody stop here's what we need to think do this because you know you don't have that time in the midst of battle to have those discussions this is true and to give skid credit we we did discuss the the you know almost video game strategy of burning down one enemy so we had a stone giant left and urathash and we were like let's just focus fire on the one stone giant until it's down while will is tanking it and then we can move on to worry about urathash and skid is like oh, i totally understand that but there's just no way that Esther is not constantly going after Orathash, even if it's against the strategy of the team, even if it results in putting us in a bad tactical position. And he stuck with it. He stuck with it through, which I thought was a great idea. And that's a perfect example of like, you can talk out a lot of strategy, but then still make decisions that are not in line with that to fit your character. I just think it's good to know and to have discussed what the options are and then choose the one that, that's most right for you. Totally. So obviously this is a combat-filled episode back and forth ups and downs will's hit points go up as he gets healed by aram and then right back down again as he gets hit by the stone giant baron goes from hitting to misfiring and then to four times critting nestor gets out of position obviously through a command spell we'll talk about and then he gets settled again orathash kills della but then is blinded by feraza like it just felt so awesomely balanced and i don't think we've ever had an encounter that was that back and forth where I really didn't know how it was going to end up for a long time into the fight. Do you think that was just kind of the luck of the die or did you expect this combat to be so balanced like that? No, I mean, that was totally the luck of the die. One minute you're up, one minute you're down. Sir Will charges and misses. I mean, I had one spell land and then another spell uh, get saved on. I, I, that, that was just, that's why we played this game or for those moments where the dice is, is literally telling the story for us. Yeah, it, I, I felt the same way, especially when you're talking about the misfires, the, the, and then, yeah, I didn't even think about about that Sir Will's miss on the plus 21. I mean, granted, it is also Orthash's AC was what, 32 or something like that. So yeah, I think he still so. had to roll over 50, you know, over 10, which I would never do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, luck of the die did not so much uh, work in our favor there, but in other ways it did, especially on the saves. So this guy is busting out some seriously scary spells. Let's talk about Orthash for a second. He's a tough caster in battle, but what are your feelings in general? I, I, you all know my feelings. What are your feelings, Troy, on spells with a save negates effect? Well, you know, you get excited when you play these big bad guys because you want to start throwing out all their spells. And oftentimes what happens is, especially in the, ta in the case of Atena as well, the DCs are not super high. Even with a 
you know, book three boss. Um, I think Atenas were right around DC 14 for most of her spells. I mean, that's, that's a gimme for some of you at this point. Um, and his were right around DC 15. So I don't know. I always see that and I'm like, they are all going to pass this, these spells. But then again, Baron failed on one. Nestor failed on one. Veriza passed one. Uh, uh, Baron passed one. So it was, it was pretty well balanced. I have to remember that like, it's probably a 50% chance and that's, that's what it should be. I obviously want all of my spells to land because I'm all excited about them and I only get one chance with them once I cast it. But I think that that's more realistic. You guys fail spells all the time. What about spells like command with a tricky loophole that uh, that a player can work around? Did you obviously you gave Skid a bottle cap? You enjoyed it. It was a funny moment for the show. Yeah. If you had it to do over again, what would you have? What would you have said? Uh, I would have said, "Drop your weapon." Exactly. Yeah. I was going. I was going to tell you. Like, I was wondering if you didn't say that specifically because it would have caused a TPK, <laughs> or if you literally just didn't think of it at the time. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I didn't plan this out in the moment. I was just like, all right, I'm going to cast command, and I was thinking, ah, jump, because I just wanted his body down there, but it was just a brain malfunction where I didn't think the the better thing, take him out of the combat altogether, make him come get. The bow. Um, but instead, all I could think was jump. When I was thinking about it afterwards and thinking of the bow, like leaving his hand clanking down to the ground, I just kept picturing Orothash taking a full round to pick it up and just break it Destroy in front of him. It. Oh, dude, <laughs> yeah. imagine if he just dropped it, it landed 10 feet away from Orothash, and I walk up and just smash and it would destroy it on the first hit definitely uh, I, I would think definitely he he's doing so much damage yeah, with that warhammer it, it would be a minimum 13 points of damage which would break old jolter and uh maybe obliterate it <laughs> skid would be furious <laughs> what was your favorite what was your favorite thing about orathash we knew you liked that he was an inquisitor uh outside of that or you know within that class what was your favorite thing about his build or his backstory or or what made him such an interesting boss uh, from your perspective? Well, um, one thing that was cool about a combat that goes this long is I was able to use a lot of his abilities. Sometimes these guys have 19 different things going on and they die in the second round. You're like, God damn it, I really wanted to play with this guy. Uh, before the fight, he had cast Stone Skin and Sea Invisibility on himself. Um, those are... That's right out of the book uh, that he got to do that. So I knew Sea Invisibility was going to be very exciting because I knew that's what Della likes to do. I know that's what Della likes to do to Nestor. So I was like, come on, bring it at me. And it led to Della's death, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, literally led to her death. She went to the well one too many times. Uh, I Obviously, Flames of the Faithful I thought was cool. Hold person. Howling Agony would have been a lot of fun if that had worked. Um, but in terms of my favorite thing, uh, I think it goes right back to something super simple and that's the Judgment Class feature. I just love the Judgment Class feature. And I've never played an Inquisitor up to this level who gets to use two Judgments per day. Um, so just being able to use, you know, switch swiftly. Because I was doing it without letting you guys know what what was being changed. So at one moment, I'm boosting AC. Another moment, I'm doing fast healing. Another moment, I'm doing saves. Uh, it's just, it's an amazing, amazing class to play. Clarify for me, I'm not familiar with it. The judgment class feature, when you say two per day, that means that two active at the same time? Yes, you're or allowed to you have can... two active at the same time, but then that's wow. it for the day. Um, and I didn't know that because I've just never had an inquisitor that got that far, but, uh, 
It's pretty exciting. It really is just a nice little boost instead of like a key or a grit just to be able to, you know, once or twice per day, depending on if, if you feel like this is going to be the big fight, just give all these crazy boosts to yourself and swiftly change it throughout the fight. Oh, shit, this guy's doing fire damage. I'm going to go energy, energy resistance three against fire, swiftly change to that. There are like, I don't know, 10 different things you can do to buff your character on the fly. So which ones did he have on? Or which ones did you utilize throughout the combo that you weren't telling us about? Uh, well, protection was huge. Um, that was that boosted his AC all the way up to 32. Um, and then I had fast healing going there for a while. And I think uh, I'd have to go back to the videotape to remember because I mean I was pretty much switching every single round. And then the one that really helped me is when I switched to resistance. And his resistance pre-built into the character was against lightning. So that really helped uh. against uh, old Jolter. <laughs> so he was getting resistance six against lightning. So when Skid, so, so he did no lightning damage. No, every time Skid was like, and six points of electricity. I'm saying lightning. I meant electricity. Skid was like six points of electricity. I was like, great, zero points of electricity. Oh man, I wonder if he. Are you as, as a GM supposed to notify him to that? Resistances. I, I know you're supposed to notify them to DR. Yeah, but are you are you supposed to notify them to resistances? Maybe I don't know. I, I there, you can you can read that core rule book front to front to back. There is nothing in there that says make sure you tell the player. I, now that I said that, we're gonna get ten emails. Like actually, on page three forty eight, it says you should <laughs> notify the player. But you know what? It probably does. GM Troy. Fiat. I'm not notifying the player. I'm having fun. <laughs> I would never ever <clears throat> presume to say what is and is not in the core rule book. <laughs> I know, I know. I take it back. <laughs> On Where's my recording. lawyer? Where's my lawyer? It, <laughs> it's so long. It has so many things in it. Now, do you want to know something I added to him that was not in the book? Oh, yes, please. This is kind of huge, and you might get a lot of... Uh, May get a lot of chatter about this. I did not give him an advanced template. Obviously, you guys are in the middle of a gauntlet. I didn't give him any extra hit points, per se, or a boost uh, to any of his attacks. I gave him one item before the fight. A potion of invisibility. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Why that? Um, because what made you I think of that? knew at a certain point the tides of the battle were going to change, and I wanted to give this battle its full uh, oomph, as it were. I didn't want him to just be walking into the cathedral and dead by the time he gets to the dais. Um, so I wanted to balance the fact that you guys had like eight PCs, which is not normal and not <laughs> recommended for this encounter. Uh, I wanted to. <laughs> we recommend eight PCs for this encounter. Yeah, we're doing Giant Slayer with a group of eight. <laughs> uh, good luck finishing that. Um, As so, recommended by the module. That's all, That was my one little uh, point of balance, a potion of invisibility, because it bought him time to cast Cure Moderate Wounds on himself, to uh, kind of position himself, and then obviously for Della to walk directly into him. <laughs> okay. All right. That That is actually interesting. Now that you bring it up, I think that that is a neat way to to give a boss a little oomph at the right time. And you don't have to use it. You can use it. You don't have to. It's not going to be necessarily deadly to characters, but it could be if you wanted it to be. And it, it isn't It isn't one of those situations where you make the AC so high that all of a sudden you're like, oh, crap, I made it too high. Now he's unhittable. Or where you uh, overpowered his attacks to the point where you're looking down the barrel at a TPK and you're like, shoot, this is because of an adjustment I did. 
this gives you the chance if things start to turn against you to make that combat a little bit more harrowing because nothing is worse for players than an invisible boss. Yeah, one little adjustment like that I thought gave enough balance and we still had, what, a 13, 14 round combat that lasted two episodes? I mean, to me, that that's what the boss battle should be and I wanted to make sure that we uh, we did homage to uh, this badass villain who we saw 31 episodes ago or 32 episodes ago for the first time and is now uh, the combatant. So the death of Orathosh brings back the appearance of Brander back again, of course. Uh, we saw him a few episodes ago, but to bring him back in front of the group as he's striking the hammer on the forge very dramatically. And and we're also getting uh, a little peek back into Will's backstory. And here we find out Brander is involved in Will's backstory. So now that Brander is here again in front of the group, let me just ask you, how did this all come together with Ymir. I mean, this is something that obviously you've had in the works for a long time. Where did that start? How did you? How exactly did you did you put it together? And and how is it? Are you able to pull it off in that tent for all that time with with his own brother? Yeah. Um, when basically right when we finished episode seventy two, um, Gar and away, uh, I was thinking right then and there, how do I get Brander back into the story? What's going to be the best way to bring him in in a big surprise? And I'd been thinking about that pretty regularly until I saw the opportunity that's written in the book where when you get to that jail cell, obviously it doesn't say, uh, the half orc, uh, from Trunau is in there who was a member of the party. You know, I added all that <laughs> stuff. All it says is that Taram Shinnerman is there and he's dead from torture and that there are two other prospectors from Shinnerman's fortune in the jails as well. They say, you can use a general stat box from the NPC codex if you want. And I said, boom, right there. I'm going to make them his sons because it will immediately tie them into the story rather than just have be two prospectors that are like, make sure you keep them alive, like a little side quest throughout this thing. I wanted to give them real life. And the reason I wanted to do that is so that I could hide Brander among them. Do you know what Ymir means in Hebrew? No, what? To change. <laughs> Did you, like, you looked that up? Totally. I, to I wanted to, because I wanted the one son's name to be Aram, to be like Taram. I was like Aram. And then I said, I want the other one's name to kind of give a nod to the fact that he was Brander. Thankfully, oh, that is very cool. Um, so not only so not only were these prospectors not his sons in the story, but <laughs> obviously one of them wasn't Brander. And your idea was first to make one of them Brander, and then to make them appear as or to make them his sons. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. I, I had no idea. I thought that they were. I thought his sons were part of the story as written in the module, and that you just took one of them and changed him at the last minute. Uh, you know, in the last few weeks to to Brander. I didn't realize this was all constructed from the beginning. No, they were basically throwaway characters. You know, that you could probably make interesting and role play as two prospectors, then and, and they could be you know the next Razmataz. But I thought, no, this is a great way to hide Brander among them the whole time. So you have to so imagine he's been with them for a while. So you're talking about several, several months since Brander left the story, you were ahead, like you had already read ahead uh -huh. and seen these scenes uh, in and around the cathedral where, you know, this prison was and all that kind of stuff and were able to start planting those seeds. I mean, it just goes to show you how far ahead you should be reading in a pre-written campaign mm -hmm. because it'll give you great ideas the further ahead you read. 
For sure. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm well into, uh, the, the end story now. I mean, we're, we're approaching the, the midpoint of our whole, uh, saga we're telling. So there's stuff here that I've already started planting seeds for book four in that you guys won't realize till later and then be like, Oh my God. I mean, there's book five stuff that I've planted in here and book six stuff. And so later on when it finally hits, you'll be like, Oh, that's amazing. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. All right, man. Well, uh, excellent job with, with the Brander stuff. We will see how that continues next week and also get a little more, I hope, on uh, a little more reveal on Will's backstory here. But for right now, let's get into a little listener mail. It's time to listen to mail. All right. Thank you so much to Kyle from Washington, D.C., who wrote in with a question. This one I, I like because we don't get these all the time. This is a straight up what should I do in my game with my character <laughs> question. And he wants to ask uh, Troy Lavalle what he should do. And, uh, and let's see what your thoughts are on this, Troy. So He wants my sage advice. Yeah, he wants your sage advice, you cocky bastard. Uh, so Kyle from Washington writes in, he says, I'm having some difficulty with role-playing, with a role-playing decision that I've made and whether I should continue down the path. All right, so I'm going to go into this little story here. So pay attention, Troy, because all of the details uh, count. I am a human paladin of Iomidae, and I've been playing him since second level. We are now level 13. He has seen around 14 party members die and is the, and is the only one that has seen almost the entire storyline. As you can imagine, he has developed a lot of cynicism about how cruel the world is, and he has become even more dedicated to cleansing all of this evil. However, the Paladin Code of Iomidae prevents me from being as harsh as I am role-playing him. Iomidae's code tells me that I need to accept repentance from my foes and only fight them if they will not repent. However, the trauma of losing so many friends has blurred the line between slightly evil and chaotic evil, and he can no longer see the difference. The problem is that my GM has told me that he will take away my paladin powers if I continue to go down this path. Now, my question is, should I change my character's temperament so he won't lose his paladin status... Or should I throw caution to the wind and risk losing my paladin status for the sake of good role play? Well, my initial reaction is obviously go for the role play. That sounds fun. We've done it. We know how much fun it could be. And we know how every single fan who listens to the show loved the fallen paladin idea. So why don't you try it as well? <laughs> um, but then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Is their GM going to be as benevolent and cool as I am to allow also, the paladin to get redemption through role-playing instead of using the actual mechanics, which are next to impossible, to rise back up to get your paladin powers through atonement. So first thing, ask your GM, all right, listen, let's say I do do it. Can we? Can I get these paladin powers back by having you know an, an atonement process through role-playing instead of through the mechanics? Is he's like, if he's like, nah, then maybe you want to rethink doing it. But if he's like, maybe... Then, then yeah, give it, give it a try. I would say absolutely try going, uh, fallen paladin, but you got to make sure your GM's not going to be a real stickler about letting you get back into it. I find it absolutely hilarious that you think that in this same situation that you 
when posed with that question, would say, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll let you uh, role play back uh, your powers and not go uh, against the uh, or not go with the rules. When this happened with Sir Will, you were like, you're just going to have to figure it out, buddy. <laughs> yeah, those atonement rules are tough, buddy. That's all you kept saying. <laughs> Do not deny it. Over time, obviously, you, you loosened up and you allowed for uh, atonement through role play. But at first, you, you certainly did not. And if I said, oh, if I make this decision now, will you make things easier on me later? You'd be like, no way. No way you would. You would want to make that decision tough. You know that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But at least I have that to give said, the illusion that, like, that's why I'd be like, we'll see. Good luck. You'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, I will say that that is one thing that you're good at doing. You don't necessarily shut everything down. You just always keep the players guessing. Right. And that is both frustrating, but it's also it's also fun. Uh, I'm going to come down on the other side of this one, Kyle, more so just to play devil's advocate. I think it's a great idea to role play uh, a, a fallen paladin. But at the same time... I think that the situation that you're in right now is is not so much about temptation. It's not so much about doing things that are wrong in the grand scheme of things. You're really just kind of going off of paladin code, which is which is obviously that is bad, and that and that is that does lead to becoming a, a fallen paladin. However, I think that there you can't deny the mechanical needs for a character that is 13th level that is a 13th level paladin to stay a paladin and to have those paladin powers for the sake of the game and for the sake of your party Good point. and all that stuff especially since this character is one of the only ones that has lasted this long i don't think that that is a good reason to kind of throw this all away now would i would i uh recommend that you don't role play the way you want to or that you don't bring good role playing into this no no not at all this is not a purely mechanical decision. It is, however, the mechanics weigh in on it a little bit. So what I would say is it might be tough, but I think it could also be fun to find a way to role play the struggle. I think that you could have a lot of good fodder in there for role playing a paladin that really desperately wants to kill a prisoner, but is trying so hard not to. Playing out the temptation, playing out the struggle that you're, you're, you're trying to fight against could be very interesting. And it would also allow you to keep your powers, which is going to be huge when it comes to actual combats, keeping your allies alive, keeping this character in the story. I would just fear, I mean, I'm a scaredy cat, but I would just fear that if you went down this role play path, which is not a wrong path by any means, but by losing your powers, you would senselessly kill this character because a paladin at 13th level with no powers except his base attack bonus and his weaponry and armor is, yeah, he might be fine in a martial sense, but when you're talking about the real villains at that level of, of an adventure... I don't know. I just I don't I, I think that you can still have great role play but not give yourself over to essentially suicide. I mean that's kinda how I would see it, but I'm I'm I might be being over dramatic about it. No, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I think it's a really Really great point, Joe. Like, show that struggle. Let it play out over a few sessions. Like, just, you want to go down that path, but you, something happens where you find the resolve within you. No, no, I will stand with Iomade and I will stand resolute as a paladin and then have your like redemption arc happen just like that without actually falling. Another option, and this is something a lot of people brought up to us that, you know, we decided, or actually you decided, because it's your character, Joe, not to do, is uh, the Grey Paladin route. Are you familiar with the Grey yeah. Paladin? 
yeah, I remember we, we this was brought up to us by listeners, and we we looked into it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you can uh, there there are uh, other options out there that might be available to you, but I, I tend to agree with you, Joe. I mean, for me, I think you should you should try it um, if the GM is going to be uh, lenient at all and letting you get your powers back. But I totally agree with you, Joe. If it's going at that level, you cannot. Like if Sir Will falls again, Sir Will's going to die <laughs> from book sure. four on. And so this guy, we're talking about a character that is probably late book four, early book five in his game. Um, and so, yeah, you really don't want to uh, hamstring your character like that just because it seems like the right thing to do. If you can solve it through role playing, I'd say do that. Otherwise, maybe look at the Great Paladin. Yeah, the other thing is maybe to go more to Troy's point I don't think Troy I think you might be overestimating how difficult atonement is mechanically at that level it was much harder when Sir Will was like 7th 8th level I think if you're 13th level it's not that out, out of um out of the realm of possibility to find somebody with an atonement spell to pay for an atonement spell etc I think it's actually easier at that level but that is also like the opposite to a to a reason why you should do something like this. You should not role play because the atonement is easy either. You should not role play a fallen paladin with the full intention to come back anyway. I would say the only reason you should play a fallen paladin and really go that route is if you as a player truly don't know if you want to redeem yourself. You know, if you want to have this character come back and be a paladin. If you're unsure on that, then go ahead and go full paladin. If you know you want them to co- come back anyway, but you just want to play the arc, I would say try to keep your paladin powers and just struggle to not murder these uh, these poor innocent people you're murdering. These these children, stop killing all the children. Yeah, shoot, I didn't even think about that. Like a ninth level cleric can cast atonement for right, exactly. Just cast so, a spell, so it's easier. Gold. Oh yeah, so to hell with it, kill them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this has been flip flopping paladins with Troy Lavalley. It's early, Joe. It's 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 seven a.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> it's seven a.m. on a Wednesday. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> All right, that'll wrap it up for us this week, you guys. Thank you as always for writing in. Please continue to send your questions to Glass Cannon Podcast at gmail dot com. We have. I mean, not only do we have an exciting episode coming up, but we have an exciting cannon fodder coming up after that because I want to talk all about whatever Brander, whatever happens with Brander, and I want to talk about the, as we really close in here on the finale of book three, we know it is imminent, and there is just, it's going to be an exciting week coming up for, for GCP Nash. Let me ask you this, Joe. Did you like episode 129? Of course. Did you like episode 130? I really did. I was nervous going into it, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that session. I think that it, the last five have only been getting better and better and better every episode. It seems like the listeners would agree. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I am going to say that episode 131 is going to be the best episode we've ever done. <laughs> I'm saying it right here, right now, on Thanksgiving, no less. It is going That's to be the order. best episode we've ever done. All right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you guys are, too. We will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.